So as we've been singing God of this city for the last month, month and a half, I am mindful of things from my childhood. Uh, as probably most of you know, I grew up in the Atlanta area. I didn't grow up in downtown Atlanta, but I grew up on the north side. I grew up in the, in the suburbs. I'm a, I'm a suburban kid. But we would go into Atlanta quite a bit just to, to visit. Uh, a lot of times we would go down to, uh, to Braves games when they were really, really terrible. You remember those days? Those really, really bad years. And then we'd go when they were really, really good, and that was exciting. Or we would go to one of our favorite places to visit, the largest drive-in in the world, which is the Varsity. And so we would go there uh, as a family, and it was always a lot of fun. Now then, I have very vivid memories of going into the city. And some of my most vivid memories are getting off at North Avenue which is where it's, it's right between Georgia Tech and it's right between the varsity there on 7585 going south, if you know where I'm talking about. And my memories are as we were getting off the interstate, we would almost always catch the light right there because it's, you know, it's the city and there's traffic. And unless you were just there at 2 o'clock in the morning, you were going to catch that light. And so you would come up to a stop and within a matter of two or three seconds, your car would be surrounded by people. And most often, they would have a spray bottle in one hand, they'd have newspaper in another, and they are, are cleaning your, your windshield. And so I just remember them as a kid. And the first time that I saw that, you know, it, it scared me a little bit. And then my, you know, my dad told me what was going on and, and, and why they were doing it. And, and so, you know, you just what we learned as children was to look past those people. You know what I'm talking about? To not see them. They were there, but not there. And so, you know, we, we looked past them. Okay, now it was a little bit scary at times as a kid, as an adult, you know, in my more uncharitable moments, it was a nuisance. Okay, and of course the city of Atlanta recognized this. They recognized that there was an issue with... Um, motorists being stopped and of course it was causing traffic flow issues as well and then something happened in the early to mid 90s Atlanta got the bid for the 96 Olympic Games you remember that and so there was a move to sort of clean things up to get rid of the the panhandlers and so they made very strategic moves to to do that and as I have grown as I have gotten older and I've thought more about this you know what you what we realize is they were getting rid of what the city would call riffraff you know the the society's rejects the outcasts they were they were the unwanted people of society okay and a lot of times it's very easy it's very easy to look past people like that right well, you know, we're familiar with those kinds of people here. You don't have to live in a big city to know that every town has people that, you know, you might not want to be associated with. Every city has people who are, uh, you know, they are the, the, the rejects, they are the outcasts, they are the unwanted people within a particular city, within a particular town or, or, or county. 
But the thing is, is it's not always, it's not always people who are homeless. It's not always people that might be living below the, the poverty line. Because as I have observed, and, and as you have probably observed, is that there are those who seem to have plenty as far as their material goods go, and that they're very socially inept, but morally and spiritually, they're struggling. They might be materially, or they might be materially wealthy by, by our standards, but on the inside, they are, are spiritually bankrupt. Now then, those kinds of people are not as easy to spot. Because from the outside, everything looks good. Everything is aesthetically pleasing, right? Okay? And it is very possible to be around someone like that and not realize that, okay, while everything on the outside looks good, you know, they might have a, a, a nice job, a nice car, a nice home, a nice-looking family, yet behind all of that, that facade, things might be crumbling. Things might be falling apart, and it is not as easy... To, to spot them, but I promise you that we have people like that in Thomasville. You know, it might be that we have somebody like that here this morning, where on the outside, you know, everything is, is, is good, but on the inside, you just sort of, you just feel like you're crumbling, like you're falling apart, like maybe nobody wants you, maybe you feel outcast, maybe you feel rejected from what I have seen that we have people just like that we have people that live among us that 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 work around and and with us people that walk our streets that we pass in our grocery stores that we see in the pickup lines of our schools who on the outside you know are, are might be fine but inwardly feel rejection they feel unwanted they feel unloved we know people like that right so my question is as we think about society's outcast society's people that maybe are unloved that we want to turn a blind eye to and ignore my question is is very simple but i think it is it's a very pointed question and it's a very important question as we say god is the god of this city the question is this is our god their God? That's a tough question, isn't it? But it is one that I think we need to wrestle with. Is our God, you know, the church people, is our God their God? And if the answer is no, then we can't sing, there is no God like our God. It's hard to sing, greater things are yet to come and greater things are still to be done in this city, I think, if we cannot answer yes and an affirmative yes to this question. Because God is the God of all people, is He not? He's created all of us. And we are to, to respond in that way. What we see in, in Matthew chapter 9 is 
uh, a story, one that we've looked at before, one that we've talked about before. It's the, it's the call of Matthew. But we're going to look at it from maybe a, a little bit different approach. In the past, we've looked at it from, from Matthew's stance. You know, he's kind of an outcast. He's a reject. Nobody wants him. And we're going to consider that way. But I think what we're also going to do before we get to the end of our time this morning is see what our response is in situations like this. What should our response be to the Matthews that we encounter? And maybe even this, maybe we are those Matthews. And so we want to figure out how Jesus is calling us to respond as we think about what it means to claim and to believe and try to act out that God is the God of this city. Because that is what we believe, right? And so if that is what we believe, then we believe that we are God's people in God's cities doing what? Doing God things, right? That's what we're trying to be. That's what we're trying to, to do. So in Matthew chapter 9, you have this, this interesting story. And we're just going to look at a, a couple of verses at a time here. And we're not going to look at many. We're going to look at 9 through 13. But you have just some really interesting stuff that takes place. It's come right on the, the heels of a, a healing story. And then verse 9, Matthew picks up his own story. And he says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And so he got up and he followed him. If you've been paying attention to your Bible for any amount of time, or if you've been here and, and, and heard our teaching for, for any amount of time, then you know that tax collectors are not everybody's favorite people, right? Today we love them, right? You know, they're our favorite people, right? <laughs> we, yeah, we struggle with them today. Okay, we struggle with the tax man. But in Jesus' day, it was the same thing. People hated they hated the tax collectors. Why? For a couple of reasons. One, they're considered traitors. I mean, just right off the bat, they are considered traitors. Okay? Because they are employed by Rome. Rome is the occupying force in Israel, in, in Jerusalem. They are occupying God's people. So they are oppressing God's people. And then you have one of God's people, one of God's Jewish people, Matthew, who goes to work for the tax collectors. Okay, so they were seen as traitors by their countrymen. Does that make sense? Okay, so they hate them because he works for the enemy. So right off the bat, he hates them. The second thing, the second reason why they're so hated is because they are extortionists. Rome did not pay the tax collectors to collect the tax. Okay, they weren't necessarily, they didn't draw an income from that. So what they did and what Rome allowed is they would tax you whatever the tax was that Rome required and then the tax collector could add his fee on top of that. And he would extort the people. Okay, and he or she or whoever the tax collectors were could become very, very wealthy on the backs of their people supporting Rome and participating in the oppression of their own people. Does that make sense? They were some of the most hated 
people around, and I imagine it's the, the, the kind of thing that if I'm going to have a job where I'm absolutely miserable, well, then at least I'm going to be rich. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if everybody's going to hate my guts, I'm at least going to be paid well for that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's like he's a preacher or something. <laughs> no, that was just too easy. <laughs> that was too easy. They hate him. He is an outcast among his own people. Nobody wants to be around him. Nobody wants to be associated with him. In fact, they're so hated that they have their own classification in the Bible. Because a lot of times you read, and you'll read it here in just a few minutes, as, as people are talking about sinners, what do they hook on with sinners? Tax collectors. And so you'll read that Jesus spent time with the tax collectors and sinners. Or the people that were drawn to Jesus was the tax collectors and sinners. They weren't just sinners. That was a given. They were their own special brand of sinner. Okay? They were tax collecting sinners. Because they were traitors to their people and they extorted their people. All for the sake of Rome, which participated in the continued oppression of their people by this occupying force. So they were hated. He was a reject. Nobody wanted him. They were hated so much that they were banned from attending synagogue worship. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being so hated, being so rejected, that you were not even allowed to worship. That would just add to your rejection, would it not? That would add to your feeling of helplessness, of, of being unwanted, of, uh, of being unloved. Fortunately, churches don't have that problem today, right? Yeah, we just, yeah. No, we, churches struggle with this. We struggle with loving people sometimes, do we not? Yeah, we do. Now then, I think, for the most part, Cornerstone does a pretty good job of trying to love people, who they are, where they are, you know, as they come in. But could we not do better at that? Say it a little louder. Yeah, we can always do better. The way we're going to do better is by walking closer with Jesus. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. So we've got Matthew. We've established that everybody hates Matthew. Do you hate Matthew now? a trick question so he's sitting there Jesus walks by Jesus says follow me and Matthew gets up and follows after him so my question then as I read this what would cause Matthew to get up and walk away from his business what would cause him to leave this life that is probably pretty lucrative where he can have pretty much anything he wants except, you know, friends. But materially, he's probably able to buy whatever he wants, and he probably lives a, a pretty good life. What would cause this guy to get up and just follow this person who happens to pass by and says, hey, come with me? I think at its most basic point, I think that he was spiritually hungry and he was longing to be filled. I think it's possible that he's outwardly wealthy, but he's inwardly bankrupt. 
I think that Matthew longed for acceptance. I think he longed for companionship. I think he, I think he longed to, to be loved. But more than that, when you read the book of Matthew, you'll probably notice that there's more Old Testament quotes in that gospel than any of the other gospels. I don't, I don't know if you've noticed that or not. But you just do a, just a casual flip through, and you'll see that he quotes a lot more Old Testament than the other guys do. Which means that Matthew knows his Jewish scriptures, right? He knows the scriptures. He's studied them. Which means Matthew, just like every other Jew, is waiting on the Messiah. Right? And so I think maybe why he gets up and he leaves and he follows Jesus is because he knows the scriptures. He knows the prophecies. He knows that the Messiah has been promised and that Messiah is coming. And I believe he must have seen Jesus. He must be aware of him. And he must have come to the conclusion by looking at his life that that is the Messiah. So that when Jesus walks by his tax booth and says, hey, come with me, Matthew gets up with no hesitation. Matthew has enough faith. Matthew has enough faith to follow Jesus. I think he looked at what was in front of him and he realizes that all of the money, everything that I've got or everything that I could possibly have, none of that compares to what I could have with Jesus. Nothing compares with that. And so I think that's why he gets up and he just walks away from his life as a tax collector. Now then, watch this. Verse 10. The next time we see Jesus, he's at a dinner party. Verse 10 says, as he sat at dinner, that's talking about Jesus, as he sat at dinner in the house, many, what? Tax collectors and, say it loud, sinners. You see it right there? Matthew knows. He knows the code. He's writing the story. Many tax collectors and sinners were sitting where? With him. With Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, so there it is, the tax collectors and sinners. These are the disreputable people, right? These are the outcasts. These are the rejects. These are the people that all the good people know to hate, right? And so there Jesus is. He's sitting with those people. He is feeding them. The way it reads, it kind of sounds like he's hosting them. Not just one tax collector, but many tax collectors. So somehow the word spread. Matthew must have told his tax collector buddies, or they must, somebody must have seen it, or somehow whatever happened, we know now Jesus is in the house, he's reclining at the table, and reclining around the same table with the Son of God are society's outcasts. The people that are unwanted, unloved, rejected, hated, all of those things. And then the Pharisees, the religious people, they go to Jesus' followers and they say, why does your teacher, your rabbi, 
you guy who claims to be from God and have all this knowledge and superior stuff, why does he eat with these people? Because I think there's an implied, if he really was who he says he is, then he would know who they are. He would know they're unclean. He would know they're filthy. He would know that they are sinners and that he would not spend time with them. Why does your teacher hang out with these disreputable characters? And so what we see is the Pharisees, they're uncomfortable with this, right? They're uncomfortable with these kinds of people. And if we're going to be honest, there's probably some times in our lives when we've been around some disreputable people and it's made us a little uncomfortable. Okay? I know in my life there are times when I'm just uncharitable. There are times when I'm judgmental. Okay? There are times when I'm condescending and pretentious and look down on people and old hatreds and racisms come up in my heart because I'm human and I'm sinful. And I've experienced some of those things. I've participated in some of those things. And chances are pretty good you know what I'm talking about. Am I the, surely I'm not the only one. Get me off the hook here, right? I'm not the only one? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. But then other times, I find myself able to be compassionate toward people. Now then, we admit that sometimes we are uncomfortable, and we might be uncomfortable with Jesus being around people like this. The Pharisees were. But I want to give you three reasons why we, we shouldn't be uncomfortable with what Jesus was doing. Number one, right off the bat, is this, because that's us. The, disrep the, the, the disreputable people, the sinners, we have to first and foremost see ourselves in that point of view. Does that make sense? If we're unable to see that point of view, then we will never be able to love people. Does that make sense too? We will always be judgmental. We will always be pretentious. We will always look down the end of our nose because we think, hey, we got it all together. So the first reason why that shouldn't make us uncomfortable with the people Jesus hangs out with, and the first reason that shouldn't make us uncomfortable to be around some people that we might see as socially outcast is because first and foremost, that is us. The second reason is this. That's who Jesus hung out with. Right? It's hard to get around that one. I mean, if, if Jesus is hanging out with somebody, that, if we believe Jesus is all right with me, then whatever Jesus does should be all right with us if we believe in Jesus. Does that make sense? And then the third reason is this. Those are the people that we are to share the love of Jesus with. In other words, we are to be Jesus to those people. This morning as I was getting ready and just kind of moving around, I, I had uh, the Casting Crown song, If We Are the Body, playing. Because it's basically asking those kinds of questions. If we are the body, you know, why aren't we reaching? If we are the body, why aren't feet going? If we are Jesus, why aren't we seeing lives changed? You know, those, 
that, that, that song asks some very critiquing questions of our own discipleship, does it not? And this is, I think, this, this text that we see in Matthew, I think it does the, the very same thing. Jesus knows the hearts of the church people, of the religious people. Now then, watch his reaction in verse 12. But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what, what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus knows the hypocrisy in their heart. He knows their attitudes. He knows what they think of him, but he does not care. Do you see that? Jesus doesn't care. He's not concerned. He's not concerned about their reputation. He's not concerned about his own reputation. He doesn't care about their past, what they've done, where they've come from, how they've done wrong. Jesus came to save sinners and that's what he tells the pharisees he says hey look i'm not here for the religiously perfect i'm not here for those who, who think they have it all together i'm here to give mercy and grace and love to those who desperately need me that's why i am here you see and and, and that's what jesus does for us and as I read this text, and as I read other texts, what I realize, and this is the beauty of Jesus, is this, is that the messier a person's life is, the more attracted to that person Jesus is. Do you see that? Because Jesus did not come for the righteous, he came for the sinner. That's why he said, the, the, the well don't need a doctor. The sick do. And that's who I'm here for. Which means, what's our point of view? Is our point of view, well, I don't need a doctor. I don't need Jesus. I'm good. My life is good. I live, you know, I, got, I go to enough church services. I give my money each week. I sing the song. Or are we the ones who, just like Matthew are we the ones who are in need of Jesus? That should be our point of view. That we, we are the ones, we are the ones who, who need Jesus. Now then, so what does this mean for us? Now watch this. To associate with sinners and disreputable people is to act out of God's mercy. Does that make sense? So when we show love and we show grace and kindness to someone, doesn't matter who it is, but anyone, but especially those who, who feel rejected and unwanted and unloved, when we do that, we are acting out of, participating in the mercy of God. But I think when we do that, it also means that we acknowledge that we too are the ones in need of God's mercy. You see, and when we recognize that and when we acknowledge that, what that means, that when we recognize our own need for mercy, that is what gives us the capacity to extend God's mercy to everyone else. Does that, does that work? Does that make sense? 
Because if we're being judgmental, and if we're being like the Pharisees, and we're self-righteous, and think we've got it all together, how on earth can I possibly be merciful to somebody? Because the Pharisees are questioning why Jesus is with somebody like that in the first place. And if that's my attitude, why would I spend time with people like that? See what you kind of see what's happening in the story? Jesus is calling us out of our own selfish, self-righteous, pretentious, judgmental hearts and attitudes. He's calling us to recognize ourselves in the story, that we recognize Matthew in ourselves, but not only recognize Matthew in ourselves, recognize Matthew in, other, in others. You see, and if we can't, if we cannot recognize this, if we fail to recognize this, then we will look down on outcasts and rejected and disreputable people, and then we will become just like the Pharisees, and here's the thing, we will never reach those people with the love of Christ. Does that make sense? We won't be able to reach them. Now then, what's great about this story is that Matthew takes his conversion and he sandwiches it right between two healing stories. Just in your, if you've got some devotional time this week and you want to look at something, go, go read this chapter. And you'll realize that Matthew's story comes right in the middle of two healing stories. And we wonder why, why he did that. Why did he write it that way? I think it's because Matthew looked at his own story as a healing story. Okay, when it says that he got up and followed him, the literal translation is he arose. Matthew uses resurrection language because he found new life, because he found acceptance and he found purpose in Jesus because Jesus stepped into the mess of his life. And accepted him for who he was, accepted him where he was, and loved him as he was. And then he called him to a greater purpose. He showed him a, a better way to live. So that brings it back around to us, to the question that I, that I opened with. And that question is, when we think about those people, when we think about people that, that we come in contact with that might be looked down upon, that might feel rejected, that might feel like they don't have a place to belong or that nobody loves them. The question then is, back to the original question, is our God, do we believe that our God is their God? And if we believe that, that should motivate our response. If we believe that God is the, the God of this city, and that we are God's people doing God things in God's cities, we're going to follow the lead of Jesus. Which means the city connection for us is, as we encounter the messy people of life, which includes us, that we are to step into the mess. Does that make sense? We have to step into the messiness of people's lives. Now, that's not easy to do, and yeah, we have to be 
cautious about some things. But what I'm talking about is that just like Jesus, we have to love people where they are. You know, a lot of people, they feel like they can't come to church because they're not good enough. They're not righteous enough. You know, you'll, you'll hear people say, oh, the building will fall down if I go in. If I go in there, lightning will strike and burn everybody up, you know. You hear people say that. I've heard people say that. You have too. We have to love people where they are. Forget about just bringing people to church. We have to love people that we come in contact with. We have to love them where they are. We have to accept them where they are and who they are. And we show them the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ. And in doing so, we point them to the better way, the way that's been shown to us, the way of uh, of Jesus. Jesus invited Matthew to go with him. Jesus sat at a table with Matthew. What if we did that? I want the rubber to really start hitting the road. What if we invited somebody like that to sit around our table and share a meal with us? How might that How might that change our perception? How might that change their perception? How might that help us to love more in the way of Jesus instead of the way of society? That's what Jesus did. He invited all people around a table. think Jesus calls us to step into the mess and the messiness of, of people's lives. See, and the thing is, for us too, Jesus doesn't care about our reputation. He doesn't care about our past. He doesn't care about what we've done or what we've said. You cannot be too sinful or too dirty for Jesus. Because the messier your life is, the more Jesus wants to be with you. Because that's who he came to call, and he invites all of us around his table. That by accepting his invitation, we also acknowledge that we too are in need of God's mercy. And by accepting that invitation, we recognize that it is also an opportunity for us to be merciful to others. Jesus gives us permission to step into the mess and be merciful to those who feel unwanted and unloved. Let's pray together.